Thank you, Corey and Linda. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today again for the word that you have given to us, the word that we have heard read to us, the word that we will explore in just a minute or two, the word that you have uh, graciously given to us to lead us and teach us, to guide us in the way, the way of Jesus. So, Father, as we unpack some of your word this morning, find us to be teachable, find us to be receptive, Find us to be ready to act on the truths that you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I can be pretty sure this morning that everybody watching this service has access to a computer. Even a couple of years ago, I might not have been able to say that. But today, I can say that watching this service, you're doing it through some remote device. And of course, you know, because you're all computer experts, that each computer has what we call an operating system. An operating system is the software that's baked into the computer that helps to manage the computer, the devices, and any other thing you want to do on the computer. Application programs, or as us hip people call them, apps, um, are usually require some kind of operating system to function. And there's a million of these operating systems out there, depending on the kind of device you have or the kind of platform that you're using. I, uh, Pastor Laura and I usually use Apple devices, iPhones, and so Apple is regularly updating its operating system. I think it's iOS 14.3 now. I'll have to check because they update it every three and a half seconds, so I'll have to check. It might be iOS 14.4 by the time we're done this morning. My computer, which is a Windows machine, runs Windows 10. Of course, if you are in the Android universe... Those devices have had much more clever names for their operating systems. They go like this. Alpha, Beta, Cupcake, that got my interest, Donut, Eclair, Froyo, Gingerbread, Honeycomb, Ice Cream Sandwich, Jelly Bean, Kit Kat, Lollipop, Marshmallow, Nougat, Oreo, and Pie. Now, if I'd known that I could have a phone with an operating system that somehow got me pie, I might have changed right then and there. Of course, now Android has moved to boring numbers, so the last two are 10 and 11. In order for the machine to operate properly, it has to be on the right operating system. The church that we're going to look at this morning in the book of Revelation chapter 2, the church at Thyatira, they had a problem. Their problem was they were not operating on the right system. They were trying to run a Christian enterprise on a worldly operating system. So, where do we find this operating system? Where do we find the believer's operating system? Because if we're not on the right operating system, we cannot hear properly, we cannot discern properly, and we cannot live properly. A few weeks ago, Back at the beginning of the year, seems like a long time ago now, but it wasn't that long ago, back at the beginning of the year, we call this operating system by another name. We use the word worldview. What's the big deal? The big deal is this, that believers in Jesus should be people who discern truth and who live truth. In order to do that, we have to embrace the Christian operating system, the Christian worldview. And again, the church of Thyatira had trouble with this. We're going to see how that unfolds 
this morning in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. If you have your Bibles at home, please turn them to that passage. If you're watching on the screen through our website, the Bible translation options are just to the right of the picture. You can click there and follow along. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Maybe by now, it's possible by now that many of you could unpack the pattern to these letters that we've been unpacking over the last several weeks from chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. The church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum. We've looked at those already. Today we're looking at Thyatira. Next week it's Sardis. Not the church at Sardis in Kansas, but Sardis in Asia Minor, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when he does this, when he talks to these churches, Jesus follows this pattern, right? This pattern that you have now ingrained in your brains. He gives first, Jesus does some information about himself. Each church gets just a little snippet, a little picture of something slightly different in the emphases about who Jesus is and how he is. Some information about himself. And then there are usually, for most of the churches, something that's commendable, things that are uh, worthy of emulation, things that are worthy of looking at and occupying our attention and copying, really. And then there are usually, for most of these churches, some things to avoid. And the reasons why we should avoid those things, including consequences, which can be both positive and negative. So, as we look today at this church at Thyatira, what do we first learn a little bit more about Jesus? Verses 18 and 23. Verse 18. He calls himself the Son of God. This is the only time in the book of Revelation that this particular phrase is used, the Son of God. And what it does here for this church at Thyatira and for us Now, is it emphasizes the majesty of who this person Jesus is. He wasn't just some nice guy who taught some pithy things and washed some people's feet and did a couple of really interesting and cool things like turning water into wine. No, he's the son of God. 
And he has eyes in verse 18, like a flame of fire. This helps us to understand about Jesus something that's underscored in verse 23, which is when he says, I am he who searches hearts and minds. This Jesus, he sees everything. All those things that we think we do when nobody's watching. All those things that we think we think when nobody's listening. All those things that we say in our car out loud, but the windows are closed. We think nobody else can hear them. Guess what? Jesus sees all of those things. I was enamored a few years ago. I saw a commercial on television for a Mercedes. I watched commercials about Mercedes. We could never afford to buy a Mercedes, but I watched commercials about them. And this commercial was really interesting because it, it, it previewed, it premiered their headlights that could see around corners when the car was driving down like a country winding road. The, the headlights actually curved somehow around the corner as the car was making the turn. Now, of course, a lot of cars are made with peripheral vision and warning systems and backup cameras. My daughter has a car that gives you this, like, when you're trying to park the car, it gives this view from above. I'm thinking, where were these things when I needed them for my cars? Seeing all these dimensions, every possible way and direction. This, folks, is just a microcosm of the way that Jesus sees all. And so when we look here in this letter to this church at Thyatira, we are reminded that this is the Son of God we're talking about, not just some cool dude. This is the Son of God. And this thing that's emphasized about him to this church and to us this morning is this capacity to see everything. And verse 18 also says, that he is described, he describes himself like his feet are like burnished bronze. Bronze, durable, stable, firm. It's burnished, it's polished. It catches the eye. It grabs the attention. This Jesus in the book of Revelation is not the Jesus that enters into the world or he slips into the world quietly at Christmas. This Jesus, this is the all grown up Jesus. This is the Jesus who commands the universe. This is the Jesus speaking to this church at Thyatira. This is the Jesus speaking to us. And what is he doing here in verses 21 through 23? He pursues evil. He deals with it. And one of the things this reminds me is God expresses over and over and over again that he is patient. But he is not inexhaustibly patient. In this particular church, at this particular place, at this particular time, he had given this particular person, this woman Jezebel, time to repent, but she had not. Tick-tock, time was up. But in addition to a little bit that we learn about Jesus from this passage in, in the book of Revelation, we see Thyatira's report card. And like the church last week, Pergamum, Thyatira too has a little bit of a mixed report card. I won't share any more of my own mixed report cards with you. Trust me, they're out there. But the first thing we see is, is, is some good things on the report card. A couple of A's, if you will. What happens in verse 19 when you use God's operating system? 
When you use God's operating system, when you operate according to a Christian worldview, you can make some good, solid hits. Yes, that was a baseball reference. Sorry, it's been a very long time, and we're looking forward to maybe seeing some actual, real, no-kidding baseball games this year. September 28, 2014, Derek Jeter, who played for a team whose name I'd rather not mention. He was at Fenway Park. He was on his last tour for his last season. So he's at Fenway, he steps up to the plate, and he hits a solid RBI single in the final game of his career. A good, solid hit. And even the Red Sox fans stood up and cheered for this man who had played well and had been an honorable person throughout his career. A good, solid hit. In Thyatira's report card, in this church's report card, they have some good, solid hits. Their works are solid hits. Their love has been a solid hit. Their service has been a solid hit. Their faith has been a solid hit. And here's a word that speaks particularly to our time, I think, this word, perseverance. Their perseverance, their ability to hang in there, had been a solid hit. Now, here's a bit of an aside on perseverance, if you will indulge me for just a minute. We are now a year into this COVID pandemic. A year. A year ago, when it first popped up on the radar, we had no idea that a year later we would be doing this, be doing worship services like this. And I got to tell you, just about everybody that I know, including me, we're getting a little tired of the whole thing. We're getting tired of the, the masking thing. We're getting tired of the, the washing our hands 42 times a day thing, although it's a good idea to wash your hands 42 times a day, I just got to say. We're getting tired of the distance that we have to keep from people. I am not the world's most rabid hugger. I never have been. It's a very restricted list of people who get to hug me without you know, requesting permission a few days in advance before they do it. But I gotta tell you that even I am missing the possibility of people asking a few days in advance if they can hug me. Perseverance, though, is a quality that you and I need to continue to be good stewards of other people's health during this time. I don't know how long it's going to take for the vaccination thing to roll out. They tell me it's coming. I know some people have gotten their shots, but hey, I ain't one of them. But they tell me it's coming. Until we know for sure that we can keep our neighbors safe, that we can love our neighbors as ourselves, love our neighbors in the way God has called us to be, let's, shall we, echo Thyatira's perseverance as we endure these days of this pandemic. <clears throat> Sorry, a little bit of an aside there. Even though you'll note I didn't actually step aside. <clears throat> and one last thing on the report card. There's this improving quality to their works. Jesus says your last works are more than your first works. There's this improving quality. This is supposed to be you and me. Each day, none of us bats a thousand, Heck, I can barely bat 100 on most days. But today is supposed to be better than yesterday was. And tomorrow is supposed to be better than today is. This constant call to improvement. But as we said, Thyatira, like me, has a bit of a mixed report card. 
This is what happens when the church decides to use the world's operating system. This is where they get a few D's and F's. This is where they bumble their at-bat a little bit. This is where they strike out in some key at-bats. They miss, in verse 20, they miss some false teaching. Now, we're going to talk a little bit specifically about that false teaching in just a few minutes. But the first thing that we need to notice is that if we're operating according to the world's system, we can easily be deceived. Jezebel here is, is a deceiver. And it's highly likely that in verse 20, the name has been changed to protect the innocent from the guilty. She apparently has been a prominent woman in the congregation, but she is characterized by deceit. And this passage gives us some, some frequent marks of deceivers. They are often self-appointed authorities. The passage here says she calls herself a prophetess. Now, the church hadn't endorsed her as a prophetess. She said, hey, look at me. I'm a prophetess. And verse 24, she speaks in deep secrets. She speaks in codes. She speaks in conspiracies. You think 2020 was the first time on the planet Earth that conspiracies showed up? Wrong. This woman models, if you will, or immodels, if that's a word, models this this ongoing human tendency to have this idea that I've got a secret that nobody else knows, and I'm going to tell you about it, but you have to follow me. Yes, 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 you have to follow me. I have the secrets nobody else knows. In the early church, there was a, an idea floating around that eventually, became to called, uh, eventually was called Gnosticism. I know it's a long word. Sorry about that. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means just to know. And Gnostics were people who said, I have inside knowledge. I know you all have had your Bibles all this time, but trust me, I have inside knowledge. Nobody else knows what I have. I have it. You have to get to know me. You have to follow me in order to get this inside knowledge. And it goes on and on and on. Just last, um, well, last century, (laughs) there's a book called The Bible Codebook, which supposedly was this secret to unlocking all the secret codes that were deciphered into the Bible. And there was this really popular book and movie called The Da Vinci Code, which tried to help us to see that there were secrets there that nobody else knew about but them. There's a new Bible translation now called the, the Passion Translation, not worth reading. It purports, the author of this translation purports to have been told to himself one and only secrets that nobody for 2,000 years of church history has known about translating the Bible. Way back in the middle of the last century, in the 1970s, when Steve Hott was in his prime, you knew I was going to get a Steve Hott thing in there, didn't you? When Steve Hott was in his prime, the Watergate disaster unfolded, which led to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. There was a man involved in that mess whose name was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was described as Richard Nixon's hatchet man. If there was a dirty job that had to be done, Chuck was the guy that got to do the job. And Chuck was one of the first, he may have been the first, 
to actually plead guilty to offenses associated with the Watergate spying on the Democratic National Party effort. I want to read you something that he said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Now listen, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say about this that I think has a relevance to this notion of, a, of the Christian operating system, the Christian worldview. I have been amazed at the number of people who have advertised themselves as believers in Jesus have fallen into being duped by conspiracy theories. Back in the day and time of Watergate, back when Steve Hawk wasn't his prime, there were not 10 million avenues of communication to let every possible secret out in every possible way at any possible time. So the idea that somebody today can be, can be molding this mass, these massive conspiracies, it just doesn't ring true. And one of the issues in our day and time is that we get ourselves in these little bubbles where we don't hear anybody who might have a different point of view of ours, and we keep reinforcing that over and over and over and over again until we become convinced of silliness. This is not a new thing. This was happening way back in the time of the Church of Thyatira. And the people who are not operating according to the Christian worldview, according to the Christian operating system, are being taken in by secrets. Oh, I've got a secret. Nobody knows but me. I'm sorry. The Bible has been around the New Testament for over 2,000 years now. There's no secrets in there. Or there's always room for, you know, ingenuity in application of these basic truths in my life. I can always become more disciplined about how I apply these truths. But the truths, they haven't changed. There's no secrets here. You don't believe me? Read it. Take it in. Find out. Got a question about something? Ask somebody. Pastor Laura's really smart. You can ask her. And so if we are deceived, we can also easily stray from our first love and betray that first love. That's what's going on here in verse 22 when Jesus raises the issue of adultery in this church. Adultery, biblically, has been a figurative notion for spiritual betrayal. Although, in fact, in this case here and in several other places in the Bible, namely like the book of Hosea, for example, adultery is actually taking place. Physical sexual immorality is actually taking place. But what we want to see here is this picture is an ancient symbol for betrayal in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9. God says, I have been aggrieved by their adulterous hearts. God's talking about the nation of Israel, which have turned away from me. This imagery of adultery as spiritual betrayal was used by Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 16. This is betrayal of our, of our first love. And all of that, 
Look, all of that, verse 20, can leave us spiritually weak. Weak-minded tolerance by those who watch this unfold. Now, here's the thing. In our culture, tolerance means anything goes. Everybody's got their opinion. Somehow they're all equally true. Blah, blah, blah. That can't possibly be right. Can't possibly be right. Because here's what real tolerance is. Real tolerance acknowledges differences on real issues. It respects the holders of those different opinions. But it refuses to concede absolutes to truth, absolutes and truth to feelings and opinions. I lived in England for a, for a couple of years, and <clears throat> one of the first things that you notice about England is they drive on the different side of the road, which can arrest your attention pretty darn quickly the first time you get behind the wheel of a car. Now, particularly challenged, you know, the driving on the left-hand side of the road, particularly challenged for this American right-hand road of the drive, right-hand side of the road driver when I got to an intersection and I had to make a right turn. Because I immediately wanted to get into the right lane. But no, 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 you got to go across to the left lane. Or roundabouts, you know, like you go into a roundabout, like the one over by the high school, you got to go in the wrong, you got to go in the right direction. Or you can run into trouble. And if you're in Britain and you go into a roundabout and you start going this way, that is trouble. So I was listening to the radio in my car in England one day, and Brits have kind of sometimes an understated humor. And so this radio personality, I don't even know who it was, starts doing this extended story about the differences between driving on the left and driving on the right, saying that many on the continent of, the, of Europe were upset that the Brits still insisted on driving on the left-hand side of the road. And, and so this guy said the government was going to sponsor an experiment in the United Kingdom, England, Great Britain, United Kingdom, Great Britain, Northern Ireland. The experiment was that for 30 days... Cars were going to drive on the right-hand side of the road. And if it worked out after 30 days, then the trucks would start driving on the right-hand side of the road, too. Think about it. What's the point? The point is, if you're, wherever you are, man, you've got to drive on the correct side of the road. The point is that there are ultimate reference points that are not matters of opinion. Which, of course, leads to the most important question. How do we focus on God's operating system? How do we stay tuned? How do we hear what the Spirit has to say in verse 29? Because the Spirit warns that the deceivers of God's people are in for a very hard time. There is accountability. It may not come every day, but it's going to come one day. Because... The Spirit says, you and I as believers, we should be overcomers. We should persist in truth. We should hold fast what we have until he comes again. We should use God's operating system. The Spirit says we should gain the promises to those who overcome. He says we will have power over nations, just as Jesus himself received from the Father. He says that we will have the presence of the morning star, which is a picture of the presence of Jesus himself. How do we do this? You know what I'm going to say, right? Read the Bible. Take it in. Be a regular, enthusiastic consumer of the scriptures. That's how we ingrain this operating system into ourselves. I... And Pastor Laura, we go usually on Fridays to Topeka, Kansas, 
We go to Topeka, Kansas because they have a Chick-fil-A. It's worth a 50-minute drive. It is not true that when I go to Chick-fil-A, I order party pack trays of 100 nuggets. It is not true. Though I have, I confess, been tempted. And I consume those nuggets like they're, well, nuggets. Man, they're nuggets. You and I, we need to consume the Bible in exactly the same way. Regularly, purposefully, enthusiastically. Because the bottom line to all of this is that Christians are supposed to think and behave Christianly. Christians are supposed to think and behave according to the Bible's sense of who we are and who God is. Christians are supposed to operate by God's operating system. And unlike my iPhone and my iPad and my computer, these operating systems aren't really a function of our choice or preference, although I still am thinking about taking Android up on the pie. These operating systems are optional for these devices, but with Christians, believers in Jesus, we need need God's operating system. If we get it in the scriptures. My challenge to you for 2021 is, you have a Bible, read it. You don't have one, get one. You have a phone, a computer, an iPad, some other tablet device, find one of the 10,000 Bible apps out there, download it and start consuming that truth like it's a delicious chicken nugget. Because at the end of the day, God's nuggets, hard for me to say this, But God's nuggets, more powerful, more sustaining, more endurable. God's operating system. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today that your word...